Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi, everyone. This is the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. We're back after a week off and ready to talk about something really cool. Black holes, gravitational waves, Einstein's theory of general relativity. Early last year, scientists measured for the first time gravitational waves from two black holes colliding. There have been two more collisions since. To explain all this, here with me today is Marsha Bartuszak. Marsha is a journalist and physicist whose love of science was sparked during her days as a reporter on assignment at the NASA Langley Research Center. She's written for Science News, Discover, National Geographic, Popular Science, Smithsonian, to name a few, and she's won numerous awards and honors and has written a variety of books, including Black Hole and Einstein's Unfinished Symphony, now in an updated edition. Marsha, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Michael. How excited are you about this, uh, this discovery of these gravitational waves? Uh, this is something you've been writing about for a while now, and uh, it seems like the research is paying off. I was over the moon, uh, to use a celestial <laughs> phrase. Uh, yes, I started writing about gravitational wave astronomy in the early 1980s uh, for Discover Magazine and Science 80 uh, Magazine, and I've been following it ever since. It got to the point I was so interested in the field that I published my first book on the topic, the original Einstein's Unfinished Symphony in 2000, just as they were completing the construction of the two observatories here in the United States, one in Louisiana and the other in Washington State. And uh, I didn't think it was going to take 15 years (laughs) before they finally found a signal. Actually, they had built the detectors knowing that they were going to be learning a lot about how to find a signal, that they needed to build the big detectors first and then work on the technology along the way. But 15 years, that was a long wait. We were very fortunate that the National Science Foundation, which largely funded this project, uh, stood behind them and kept them going while they improved and improved their instrumentation. They went through a complete uh, advanced uh, instrumentation set up uh, that uh, was finally put into place uh, and got going in 2016. And lo and behold, as soon as they turned it on, they found a signal that was on September 14, 2015. And uh, an historic moment for all of those hundreds of people who had been working on it for more than a decade. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And then you sort of have a, a few of them in a row to, to confirm that this is indeed working. Yeah, they were nervous a bit because <laughs> the first signal they got was so terrifically strong and beautiful. They actually thought uh, that it was a hack. That was a real fear. Uh, This is a story that I bring out in my uh, revised edition. I do a whole chapter on the week by week, how they handled the signal. And for many weeks, they were very concerned because the signal was so strong and beautiful that it was someone who had, they called it the evil the, the evil genius may have inserted from the outside, maybe via cell phone, uh, uh, a signal that looked like a gravity wave. 
uh, and they actually checked that out. Uh, they they uh, when they finally reached a point where they uh, turned the instrumentation off, they went in and checked all the boxes and electronics just to make sure that that didn't happen. What they learned was it would actually have been very very difficult to have done that <laughs> to have inserted a signal into the instrumentation, but uh, it gave them assurance that uh, indeed they had found a true gravity wave signal. Uh, coming from a billion light years away, two colossal black holes colliding. And then uh, they found uh, another signal two weeks later, but it wasn't as strong. And it never rose to the occasion of, uh, of having enough confidence that it truly was two black holes colliding. So they gave it another name. They called it LVT. 15, 10, 12, because it, it showed up on Columbus Day, October 12, 2015, <laughs> LVT for LIGO Virgo Transit, which uh, meant the it looks like a signal, but we can't confirm it. That signal actually has its own Twitter account, <laughs> and it's asking to help it come out of the background. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is amusing. All these LIGO people have a great sense of humor. <laughs> that seems to be the new, uh, the, the new sort of way of engaging with science. I mean, uh, Rosetta had its uh, Twitter account, which was sort of sad when it, went, when it finally went off the air, um, oh. when they did the Comet mission, and, and uh, now this one has its own Twitter. <laughs> yes, yes. And then they had another, they had a Christmas present on Christmas Day in 2015. Uh, they had another signal, and again, two black holes colliding some billion light years away. Uh, yeah, they had three right <laughs> in a row, and they have had other signals. They have one officially confirmed uh, that was announced this year. Uh, so they are getting going. Uh, it is becoming a true observatory where they're getting not just one signal, it was never built to just detect gravity waves, and that was the end of it. They want to be an ongoing astronomical observatory, and that's what they're starting to be. And what are uh, gravitational waves exactly? Yeah, they're very strange phenomenon, something that Einstein first thought about. Uh, more than a century ago, right after he came out with general relativity, he realized that, uh, you know, general relativity presented the idea that space-time was an actual entity that can be manipulated like a fabric. In fact, gravity comes about because masses indent space-time, and we're traveling around the sun because we're actually caught in this sort of indentation in space-time that has us running around in circles around the sun's uh, hollow that it carves out in space-time. And Einstein realized that if the sun were to jiggle, it would create waves in that space-time. And that's what exactly what's happening with these events. When these two black holes collide, it literally creates this tremendous amount of energy that causes space-time to fluctuate up and down, up and down. And those waves are then spread out from the event and continue on through the universe, uh, getting ever weaker because the signal is spreading out in all directions. 
until it finally comes upon the earth and jiggled the mirrors within the uh, detectors. Uh, that is the way that they discovered the signal, is that they have these laser beams that are constantly going back and forth, back and forth between two mirrors. And when the gravity wave goes through, it compresses and then extends space-time, compresses and expands, compresses and expands in this wave-like fashion. And the laser beams um, uh, are keeping track of the distance between the mirrors, and they detect that motion, which is, this is the amazing part, smaller, a thousand times smaller than the width of a proton particle. Yet with this equipment, they are able to detect that tiny, tiny movement. It is the most sensitive instrument that physicists have ever uh, put together. And these are... Um if I'm understanding correctly, and I may not, I may not be as a layman, but uh, these are housed in sort of these long tubes that are are, are vacuums, correct? Yes, the uh, there are two tubes in an L shape. Gravity waves have a. This is another way you can recognize gravity waves from, say, an earthquake or some other interference on Earth. When a gravity wave comes down, it will expand space-time in one direction, say north-south, and compress space in the perpendicular direction east-west. And then a thousandth of a second later, it will, it will alter. So there's this constant extension, expansion and compression, expansion and compression in these two different directions. And that's how they can recognize a gravity wave because it's causing the laser beams going through these long tubes, which are evacuated, uh, to compress space in one direction, extend it in the other. Then when that one compresses, the other one extends, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, like an accordion. And uh, that's how they recognize the signal. And I think to sort of visualize this, I think a lot of people have probably seen this demo as far as gravity, but you know, if you stretched out a fabric and put something dense in the middle and then spun a marble around it, for example, that's sort of the, the idea here, right? Yeah, and then that's it, exactly and then if true. You jiggled that. Uh, think of a balloon. Uh -huh. Think of a balloon. When you are squeezing in on one side of uh, two sides of the balloon, the top and bottom expand out. Then when you let go, and if you squeeze the top and uh, bottom of the balloon, then the the sides would extend out. And that's what's happening hmm. uh, when a gravity wave passes through. That's what it's doing to space-time. It's compressing it in one direction and expanding it in the other. So think of that balloon that you're manipulating. That's what a gravity wave's doing to space-time. And why are these um, gravity waves important? What, what, what can we learn from them? I mean even in this sort of short time since the first one's been measured, what, what are we learning from them? Well, this is a way to learn about the most fantastic celestial objects in the universe, things that are very, very compact and bizarre, like neutron stars, where you have the mass of two suns compressed to the size of a city, or black holes, those, those uh, masses that the mass gets so compressed, so dense, 
that it literally collapses in on itself to a point. And then any light or matter that uh, approaches will just be lost from the universe. They, they are, they, their gravity is so strong that no light or matter can escape. And gravity waves are coming from these objects. When neutron stars collide or black holes collide or supermassive black holes in the center of galaxies suddenly eat <laughs> some other item uh, because it's so big and strong, it will send out these gravity waves. So by studying these gravity waves, we'll be studying some of the most unique objects in the universe. But besides that, gravity waves are a totally different way of studying the universe. This is why it's so important. We have pretty much run the gamut of seeing the universe in radio waves, infrared waves, visible, uh, ultraviolet, X-ray, gamma rays. We have studied the universe across the electromagnetic spectrum. And that provides information of a certain sort about matter, how it's energized uh, and uh, its properties and its chemical makeup. Gravity waves are telling us something about how objects move through the universe. And more than that, gravity waves, unlike electromagnetic radiation, can move through the universe without getting interrupted by anything. It moves through matter as if it isn't there. Those gravity waves that arrived uh, back in 2015, 2016, all the signals that arrived moved right through the Earth as if it wasn't there. The way we detected it was because we were watching how it affected space-time. But uh, it, uh, it, it really doesn't affect matter as much. And so this is a way to explore the universe in a way that we don't have that uh, capability uh, or didn't have that capability up to this point. For, for instance... We cannot look right back to the Big Bang. You get that big fireball and you can't see through it, just like you can't see through the sun. We can only see back maybe 300,000 uh, years after the Big Bang. Gravity waves, however, it's thought that the Big Bang generated lots of gravity waves that went out into the universe. And that background of gravity waves from the Big Bang is still surrounding us. And eventually, with future generation uh, gravity wave telescopes, uh, most likely out in space, they'll detect those gravity waves from the Big Bang, and that will take us to the very moment of our cosmic origins. There is no other way uh, to do that. And that will be tremendous, a tremendous breakthrough, breakthrough to be able to see back to the very start of the Big Bang. And this is the means to do it with gravity wave astronomy. It starts to get into some, you know, some mind-blowing territory. Um, so I have to confess, I am, I am very... Um, I obsessed might be too strong a word, but I'm very into uh, the idea of black holes. And although I know nothing <laughs> about them com compared to many, I, I find them very interesting. So I would love to know um, what we what we what do we currently know about black holes um, as far as what we've been able to you know measure or detect um, with the instruments we currently have. 
Well, we know that they, uh, even though no light or matter can escape once they enter the black hole, black holes themselves have a great uh, presence in the universe. They have a great effect outside what's called the event horizon, their boundary, that point of no return. They actually have a great effect on the universe. And that's how uh, we knew about black holes and knew they existed because of the way that they were affecting their environment. If a dark, invisible black hole is orbiting, say, a giant star in a binary system, it starts taking matter off that star, literally steals it. And that matter uh, sort of spirals into the black hole, like matter going down a drain. And as that matter is going towards the black hole and spiraling in, it gets very energized. So we see these effects with high-energy uh, astronomical telescopes in uh, gamma rays and in X-rays and in radio waves all across the electromagnetic spectrum. And we are seeing these black holes have a great effect on the, the other objects that they're around. They also are, are supermassive black holes, which contain the mass of millions, even billions of solar masses, uh, are in the centers of each major galaxy, and they have uh, an effect on their surroundings. Uh, people may have heard of the term quasar, these very uh, energetic objects in the far universe. These are supermassive black holes that are gobbling up a lot of matter and spewing out great energies uh, in the process. And we see them from millions and billions of light years uh, distant because of the great energies. Uh, so that's an effect on the universe, uh, is the, the energies that these black holes, when a black hole spins, it acts like an electric dynamo. It actually can send energy and matter out of its poles, uh, uh, getting away before uh, the uh, before the matter gets uh, eaten past the, uh, the that uh, uh, point of no return, so black holes are 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 quite the energetic objects. They're not just the dark, lurking objects that people often think about. Um, and who knows? Since a black hole exists, uh, they're pretty sure now. Since a black hole exists in every in the center of every major galaxy, they're wondering whether uh, they have something to do with the construction of a galaxy. So our very existence, living here in the Milky Way, uh, the construction of the Milky Way galaxy and all the other galaxies, may be somehow related to the construction of the black hole. So our life may depend on the construction <laughs> of a black hole in the end. So is the idea that uh, – because these are – the ones at the center of the galaxies are, are these super massive, right? They're, I mean, oh, they're, they're huge. huge. They're very, very massive, and there's lots of thoughts about how they were generated. Mm -hmm. There's many different ideas that uh, maybe all the stars and gas that were in the cent central part of the galaxy where it was very crowded collapsed very quickly to a black hole and then built up mass as it – 
it sucked in all the matter around. Or it could be that in the very construction of a galaxy, a lot of mass, gas, and matter is sent directly to the center as the galaxy is forming. And instead of going from forming a star and and then a black hole, the gas, the collective gas could have formed a black hole altogether from the start. There's lots of different theories about that right now. What are what are some questions, uh, and I'm sure there are many, but what are some questions that you would most like to see answered about, um, first, well, first, black holes. <laughs> oh, What's your favorite gee. mystery? <laughs> Well, actually, what I really would like to see with uh, over time as they start seeing signals, not monthly, not even weekly, but daily, and that will that will happen. They will soon be seeing signals uh, maybe every day, uh, especially as they gain sensitivity uh, with the instruments and other uh, instruments around the world join them. There is uh, a, uh, uh, a gravitational wave observatory in Italy called Virgo, and there is one that's uh, about to come online in Japan, and there's one to be constructed in India. And hopefully all of them will work together, and uh, I'm hoping they're going to see something that they haven't been able to explain. or have not seen before. You know, with radio astronomy and X-ray astronomy, that's when we were introduced to objects like the pulsar, the spinning neutron star, and quasars, the supermassive black holes spinning and putting out great energies. These were never even imagined uh, before they were discovered. Uh, And I'm wondering, because we have this totally new way of looking at the universe, whether there are other things lurking out there. They already have some suspicions. There are theorists who, working with the theory of general relativity and cosmology, looking at the Big Bang, wonder if there are these defects in the universe, uh, areas where the energies of the Big Bang never went away. They call them cosmic strings. These are extremely thin, very long loops of mass energy uh, that would be wiggling around and giving away gravity waves. (laughs) And if they see that, I think that would be terrific (laughs) because (laughs) then we'd have another strange new object (laughs) that could join the black hole in weirdness uh, within the universe. So, yeah, there's there's very much possibilities that uh, they may come across objects that we have never even thought about, uh, or it, or only theoretically. But it, boy, it'd be great if they found something totally new. <laughs> so maybe the uh, the black holes days are numbered at the top of the weirdness uh, food chain as far as the universe goes. <laughs> it could be. They'll become blasé. Right. We'll be so used to black holes uh, after they start seeing these signals over and over and over again. Uh, but uh, it is going to be uh, – they're going to be able to explore the properties of black holes through these gravity wave signals. And also, this is intriguing to me, neutron stars, very compact objects, like I said, the mass of the sun compressed down to the size of a city, 
the size of Manhattan. And yet, through gravity waves, they may be able to actually explore the topography, the surface of these neutron stars uh, as they are um, uh, 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 reading the signals. Uh, which I find absolutely amazing that, you know, from hundreds, even thousands of light years away, they could actually, uh, you know, almost like a, a, uh, uh, like a putting a hand out to that neutron star and feeling its surface and learning about uh, its interior and how it operates. Uh, just truly amazing. Uh, that they're able to to even conceive of such a thing. And maybe we'll be seeing some of those signals. Uh, They have to get a little more sensitivity before they're starting. uh, The detectors will be able to see neutron star collisions uh, because that's a signal that's a little weaker than the black hole collisions. And I assume that they're they're constantly in in the process of tweaking these to make them more sensitive to this this type of thing. Yes, yes. uh, When they first... When they first uh, started uh, operating with the advanced instrumentation in 2016, they were, when they first turned on, three times more sensitive than the earlier version. (laughs) And they are now, over these succeeding months, been working to improve that more and more. And they eventually hope to reach 10 times more sensitivity uh, than the original LIGO that they started out with in 2000. Uh, and that day will come. They're, they're uh, constantly working. Researchers, there's more than a 1,000 people around the world in a big, what they call the LIGO collaboration, that are working on all these uh, problems, both theoretically uh, and the instrumentation, constantly improving so that when they turn off uh, they, they usually observe over a several-month span. Then they turn off, come in, and tweak and improve the instrumentation to try to get the sensitivity better and better. Um, again, sort of a, a fun idea to think about maybe, uh, talking about black holes. But what are – they're often portrayed in, in fiction books, Hollywood movies – what does what do what do Hollywood what do these books get right and wrong about black holes? Um, black holes don't suck up everything around them. <laughs> <laughs> if the sun were a black hole, we would still be orbiting uh, that object as if all that mass were still the the sun. So sometimes people think that black holes are like these vacuum cleaners that are going to suck everything uh, <laughs> around them. Uh, they have a gravitational field that from afar looks like any other gravitational field. It's only when you get closer and closer that the gradient and the strange gravitational effects uh, take over. So that often uh, will sometimes... Uh, uh, be wrong. There was an infamous uh, uh, movie uh, by Walt Disney in the 1970s <laughs> called right. Black Hole that right. they got a lot of things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they they are not portals to other uh, 
areas of the universe. <laughs> uh, it may be a portal to another universe, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't think that they think it's a portal to other universes. That's a whole different object called a wormhole, which would be interesting if we found some of them around. Uh, that's a whole different object. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of the, uh, there was a more recent one. Interstellar was another one where they used, uh, I think, a black hole to travel. Uh. Uh, they they used it as a time machine, and they actually got a lot of the physics correct, mainly because one of LIGO's founders, Kip Thorne, a Caltech theorist, uh, was uh, the uh, one of the executive producers and the consultant on all the science. So Interstellar gets it right most of the time. <laughs> there was some science that got through for dramatic reasons. Visually, uh, right. But in I terms think. of the black hole, they got it pretty right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, this is always something I've been sort of curious about. But the idea that obviously black holes aren't sucking everything up. It's not this, you know, vacuum cleaner that if you come anywhere near it, you're, you're, you're never getting away. Um, and I've heard the analogy that it's, it's, it's almost like if you had a boat above Niagara Falls, you could paddle fast enough to knock over the falls. But the minute you went over the lip, you're the, there's sort of no going back. That's exactly it, is that there is a point of no return. And if you... You know, now you may not have the rocket power because the closer you get to the event horizon, that point of no return, the more and more energy you're going to need to keep yourself from uh, from falling in. And once you pass that point of re no return, then there's no going back. You you would have to be able to travel faster than the speed of light, which is against the rules of relativity, uh, to get back out again. And, of course, they don't know truly what's inside a black hole. That's a a, 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 a hot topic these <laughs> days among black hole theorists is, is it just a invisible boundary that you will just plummet to the singularity at the center and get crushed? Or is it a more quantum phenomenon that you'll go through the point of no return and hit a firewall mm. of of particles going in and out of existence, space-time itself falling apart. They don't know yet because they need a, a full theory of quantum gravity, merging general relativity with quantum mechanics, and that hasn't been done yet. So if you, if you were to, you know, very far into the future potentially, would you be able to put something into orbit around a black hole? And if so, to measure anything, I mean, I, there's this idea of Hawking radiation. I, I've heard that, you know, stuff maybe comes out in little, uh, little bits from black holes. Would you be able to put something into orbit around a black hole at some point? And how close would you be able to theoretically get to a smaller black hole before it was never coming out again? I I'm not sure. <laughs> You'd have to, uh, it, it has to do with your, your placement. You'd have to be traveling uh, with enough velocity to keep yourself in stable orbit. And uh, that depends on the mass of the black hole as well. Uh, you could have a mini black hole where you could get very, very close <laughs> because there's not much mass there and there, therefore not a great gravitational attraction. But uh, the bigger the 
the ma- the bigger the mass that is incorporated within the hole, uh, then the uh, the faster and faster you're going to have to be to to keep yourself away. So it it depends on uh, the mass. Uh, I don't have any numbers on the top of my head as to uh, what a safe distance would be. Perhaps uh, specialists in that area <laughs> <laughs> would would have some off the top of their head. But real, but theoretically, you could, I guess, orbit a black hole at some. Oh yeah, there very much. Yeah, they uh, theoretically, yeah, you could uh, at if you had uh, uh, the capability to find a distance at which you could safely have a probe orbit, and uh, yes, uh, black holes. As Hawking liked to say, ain't so black, (laughs) they do evaporate. Now, a stellar black hole, a black hole that arose from uh, a star collapsing uh, to this condensed point, uh, that would take something like 10 to the 67 years, a trillion, 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 trillion years before it evaporated. (laughs) It it would take far more than the age of the universe. so that Hawking radiation is very, very little. Uh, whether a probe could actually ma- you know, measure it, I don't know, <laughs> uh, because it's very, very little. Uh, but uh, what they are wondering about is, what if smaller black holes were created within the Big Bang and still exist today? The ones that have, say, the mass of a mountain squeezed down to a singular point would be evaporating as we speak. And they would evaporate in a burst of gamma rays. And astronomers are actually on the lookout for those signals to see if there is anything looking like a mini black hole uh, suddenly bursting in a flash of gamma rays. And uh, that would be real. And that would be proof of uh, that Hawking radiation indeed exists. So, what other um, important breakthroughs or discoveries or uh, new research are we on the verge of um, that you think we should all be excited about or that we should at least be aware of? Oh, gosh. Uh, in astronomy, physics, lots of things. Uh, there is a lot of eyes right now on the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, in Switzerland. This is the great big particle accelerator. They have just recently uh, upgraded uh, the uh, instrumentation so that it can be more powerful. And they are trying to see if there is more physics beyond the standard model. So this is the next big thing in physics is watching what's going to happen at that particle accelerator and if they're going to see any clues uh, that uh, will help them extend uh, current models of our particle universe. Uh, One of the things being, could they possibly find evidence of what the dark matter is? We have this problem that, uh, you know, more than, oh, around 85% of the the universe is uh, is composed of something other than the matter that makes us up, the ordinary matter that makes up stars, planets, and us. And what is that dark matter? They have been trying for decades to find out. 
And so far, no clue. And the answer may arise in new physics. And that's what's interesting is that the physics that they learn about at the particle accelerator may be telling us something about the universe. There is a link between the particle physics and cosmology. I find that fascinating. We've we've come full circle. <laughs> so you get to visit um, uh, LIGO or any of the other places uh, in the near future to sort of s- to see what they're up to these days. Well, I did. Um, I did go uh, visit one of the detectors once again uh, for my original book. I did visit both the Washington State site in Louisiana. I went back down to Louisiana to. Uh, to talk with everyone about the, the detection and the discovery and get the story behind all of that, which is in my book. And uh, I'm keeping my eye out. I'm <laughs> definitely continuing to follow this story. I've been following it now for more than 30 years, and I can't keep my eyes off of it. <laughs> doesn't It doesn't uh, fail to excite. No, and it will because it's a new adventure. And that's what's exciting. There was a lot of attention to the discovery moment, as it should be. It was fantastic. This was something that Einstein predicted 100 years (laughs) earlier, and they finally found it. That was tremendous. But what's more exciting to me is the detectors now are becoming a real astronomical observatory, and that's where you're going to find the interesting things. Already they've discovered new things about black holes. Uh, Some can be heavier than they thought, Uh, an intermediate mass between the stellar size and the supermassive size. Uh, A small technical issue, but they discovered that with the very first detection. (laughs) So as they become more sensitive uh, and other observatories join in uh, to the observations, I say uh, all bets are off. We're going we're gonna to see some interesting things come out over the next several years. All right. The book is Einstein's Unfinished Symphony, the story of a gamble, two black holes, and a new age of astronomy. Marcia, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure, Michael. I enjoyed it very much. That does it for this week's episode of the Yale University Press podcast. Thank you for listening, and be sure to visit YaleBooks.com to keep up with this podcast as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. For more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite app.